Friday mornings uh, was to get up really early. Usually my mom was, was flying. My mom was a flight attendant, so usually she was gone for a three-day stint, and so uh, it left my dad to take care of my brother and I to get us dressed and get us fed and get us to school. The only interesting thing was my dad was a teacher also, and so having to be at school early as the teacher meant that we had to be at school equally as early, if not earlier, so that he could get to school early, and so we would go to uh, this, this before um, school care. Uh, they would feed us those wonderful, um, remember those little mini box cereals that you used to eat at probably your grandparents' house? Uh, Cocoa Puff, not Cocoa Puffs, but uh, uh, Pops. Yes, the Kel- in, the, in the yellow box. We would eat those for breakfast, and we thought it was so cool. But one of the cool things, we got to wake up early, and we got to watch these cartoons that we normally didn't see. And, and they, were, they were Disney cartoons like DuckTales and Tailspin and Darkwing Duck. And it was just such a phenomenal morning because we got to see things and experience things that we didn't normally experience during the week. And one of the, things, one of the cartoons that I loved was DuckTales. We're going to put a picture up on the screen. If you don't remember DuckTales, there's new DuckTales cartoons on Disney XD to dive back into your childhood. It's not as good as this class one, but these, this was great. One morning when we were eating cereal, I realized that, man, if I got three proofs of purchase plus $3.95, I could send in two Kellogg's proof of purchase and money for shipping, and I could receive the entire set of the DuckTales cartoon figurines. Well, needless to say, man, I, I, I was hooked. So I collected my proofs of purchase. I bartered $3.95 from my parents for shipping and handling that I was going to pay off with probably more lawn mowing than equated the dollar amount, but I was a kid. I was stupid. I didn't know. And I sent in, and I put in the mailbox, and I wrote the address, and I put a stamp on it, and I sent it away, and it said, you got to wait four to six weeks. Do you remember how long four to six weeks is when you're six? Like, it might as well have been years It might as well have been a decade because four to six weeks to a six-year-old is an infinite amount of time. Life could could be brought in and snuffed out. Wars could be fought in four to six weeks. Massive technological advances could exist within four to six weeks. Four to six weeks to a six-year-old is an eternity. And within those four to six weeks, everything in my life revolved around ducktails. I began to see ducktails where ducktails didn't even exist. I began to see t-shirts, and I'm like, that's Uncle Scrooge's color t-shirt. That's red, green, and, and blue. It's like Huey, Dewey, and Louie. So when you would look at a stoplight, there was that yellow one, but your brain immediately sent blue because I was seeing ducktails everywhere. I began to, as a six-year-old, have such a, a, an overwhelming sense of longing and yearning and desiring for these ducktail figurines. And I remember finally, at the point of almost giving up, I remember coming home from school one day and seeing a very small... Very, very small cardboard box on the kitchen table, and I knew it's what I've been waiting for. This is what I've been wanting for so long. This is what has birthed this yearning and sense of desire inside of me that nothing else in my six-year-old life had equated to at that point. Like I was experiencing adult-type longing for these, and I opened the box And my DuckTales figurines, my one inch tall, no distinction between the cheek and the eye color figurines had finally come in. What I had been waiting for, what I had been wanting, what I had been yearning for, what I had been pursuing was here. 
And I remember the excitement and the happiness lasted at least a week. And then all of a sudden, that sense of longing and completion and happiness kind of went away, and all of a sudden, it became just kind of ordinary. If I could give you a thought this morning, um, the thought is simply this. By nature, uh, we're talking about this word pursuing when it comes to relationships, when it comes to marriage. It says, by nature, we pursue usually what we don't have, right? Like, we pursue what we, we don't have. So if we want uh, a new car, if we want a new television, if we want uh, a new pair of shoes, if we want uh, a child, if we want, a, a, it could be a million different things. Usually, we are in the art of pursuing the things that we don't have, right? Like, because if I don't have it, then I, I yearn and I long like I did for my DuckTales characters. But, but let me ask you a question. What happens when the thing that we've longed for and the thing that we've pursued and the thing that we've desired for so long, what happens if we actually get it? See, when it comes to your marriage and when it comes to my marriage and when it comes to the marriage that I pray for those that are single that you experience, what happens, what changes when we finally get everything that we spent most of our lives and most of our energy and most of our attention at the time, what happens when we actually get what we pursue? I was thinking about it, and usually there's two things that happen. Number one is nothing. Nothing happens. You continue to live your life in this passionate pursuit of this other person who at one time was a stranger, then became your boyfriend or girlfriend, then became your fiancé, and now your husband and wife, and nothing changes. You continue to live in this life of passionate pursuit of your spouse, or number two, you stop pursuing you cease to pursue this person that meant so much to you and had so much, that you spent so much energy and intention pursuing during that dating and engagement and maybe that honeymoon phase of marriage. But so often, isn't it true that we sometimes more, instead of continuing to pursue, we settle into this world of familiar. Rather than being a heart and love that is pursued in another person, that person just becomes another metaphorical ducktail figurine of your life. The excitement's gone. The passion's not there anymore. It's be marriage becomes ordinary. And then you begin to wonder, what happened? What did they do? And if you're anything like me, and I know that I am, you begin to look on social media, you begin to look at other people's marriage, and you're like, man, the grass looks a lot greener over there. Or, man, the grass really looked a lot greener back in my single years when I was single. Let me tell you, if the grass looks greener, that's usually an indication that you need to water your own lawn. That's usually an indication that you need to do some work on, on, on your own lawn. And my prayer for this series, my prayer for you, my prayer for me has been this, that through the entirety of these, of these four weeks that we would give you the tools, that we would put into practice using the tools that God gives us so that you and I metaphorically can have the best lawn possible. That we could have the best lawn on the block. That we could have a marriage and we could have relationships that go the distance, that don't simply fall into the realm of, of familiar but becomes something that is that we desire for and that we yearn for. 
Just to give a quick review of last week, uh, Nathan did such a phenomenal, I, I was telling somebody, I listened to Nathan's message, I, I feel like three times in one day. If you weren't here last week and you didn't hear Nathan's message, uh, man, I want to encourage you to go to our website or if you uh, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, we're on there as well. But man, I would encourage you to go back and take a listen to that message because it was phenomenal. We've been talking about this idea of vows, these promises that we make, that, that go beyond the vows that we make simply on our wedding day. And Nathan talked about uh, vow number one last week, and just a quick review, is, is that I promise that God will be my first priority and that my spouse will be my second. Too often we get those out of order, right? We, we put all the focus, we put all the weight, we put all the expectation on a human person, and we replace them, we put, replace God with them, and we put a weight on their shoulders that they were never created nor intended to carry. And so our, our first promise, our first vow in this series is that I promise that God will be my first. See, you're not looking for the one that will complete you. You're looking for the second that will complement you because God completes you. So that's review of, of last week. Hi, Dorothy. When you get looked at, and stared at by as beautiful of a girl as Dorothy, you stop and you say hi. Hi, sweetheart. Oh, man, I love her. All right. This, this morning, we're going to be looking at vow number two. And vow number two is this. I promise to always pursue my two. And I first, this is the first time I've said it out loud, and I'm really sorry that that rhymed. But I, I promise to always pursue my two. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 24, says this. Nathan touched on this last week. It said, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Last week, Nathan kind of dove into this idea of leaves because it's good at some point to leave your parents. Leave. Let them alone. They dealt with you for long enough. Move on. Anyway, so he talked about that, 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 uh, that, that leaves. We're going to be looking at this word united, and this word united comes from the, the root Hebrew word debak, which means to cling or adhere, to catch by pursuit, to pursue. I love this word, to pursue hard with what? Affection and devotion. This is what we have been called to do as human beings, when it comes to the, the marriage relationship, man, we have, call, we have been called to debauch our brains out for the entirety of the time that God has given for us to be together, that we would cling in and here, we would catch by pursuit, we would pursue hard with both affection and devotion. I want to show you just three r- really quick uh, instances in Scripture where debauch is translated. And, and the thing that I love about Hebrew is, is that Hebrew is such a, it's such a depthy language. It's a beautiful language. It's like every, uh, every word has like the texture of like a painting. And there's like stories behind these words. And so if we could just look at three really quick verses where Debach is translated. Psalms chapter 63 verse 8 says this. It says, I follow, the psalmist says, I follow close behind you. Protected by your strong right arm. The psalmist says, I follow close to God. I debauch, I, 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 I follow close behind you. Job chapter 41 verse 17 says this. It's, Job says that they are joined fast to one another. They cling together and cannot 
be parted, that they're joined fast. And then Judges chapter 20, verse 45 I like this one. This one's actually, this, this one's like a, a, a gladiator-esque sort of thing. It's, the sto- it's a, kind of the conclusion of a, of a story of, of, of a war and battle. And it says, then they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimnon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highway. That's just a cool verse if you're, if you're a dude and you're just like, man, I need, some, I need some war. I need some blowing up. I need some Transformers, Ridley Scott type things. Man, this is, I love this. It says, they cut down 5,000. Then they pursued them relentlessly. Looking at this word that, they, that, that a pursued hard or a pursued relentlessly, this type of, 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 of clinging to, adhering to, catch by pursuit, to pursue hard with affection. Man, these are the things I believe that God desires for us when it comes to our marriage, that we would be, we would be in relationships, that we would be spouses that follow close behind our husband, our wife, that are joined fast, and that we are those who are, are people who pursue hard after our spouse. Genesis 29, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 29. And I love this story. I love, I love, I really do love this. It's an amazing account of a guy named Jacob. And if you're, if you're anything like me who, and, and you dive a few chapters back, you realize, man, Jacob's not a, a cool dude. Jacob's not really the greatest dude. But here's my hope. If you do that, you realize that God has the intention of using messed up people. And that's hope for me, at least, that God, can, that God would use messed up people. And so, and so we get this account of this guy named Jacob and the lengths that he's willing to go to for the woman that he loves. It's like a Nicholas Sparks book. It's just great. Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 14, 14b, it says this. After Jacob had stayed with him, him being a guy named Laban, as Je- uh, after Jacob had stayed with Laban for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. And so, so Jacob finds this guy Laban, and there's this kind of, this, the, Le- Jacob's going to kind of hang with, with Laban, but Jacob's kind of one of these guys like, man, I, I don't want to live for free, and so I'm going to work. And so then they're kind of dis- discussing terms. They're negotiating contracts, I guess, if if you wanted to say it that way. Verse 16 says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. It's not very nice. But Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only a few days to him because of his love for her. Ladies, do you love that? Oh. Seven years. It's a few days. I need to not take weeks off because I got all this pent-up energy. I like preaching. Anyway. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people to the palace and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her maidservants. When morning came, there was Leah! Exclamation point. (laughs) 
what? Somebody made a sound effect back there, and that totally distracted me. But whatever. I love it. There was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also, check this out, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant girl Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maidservant. Jacob lay with Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And then I, this, this, this last part of this verse is just crazy. It said, and he worked for Laban another seven years. What a, dis- what a dysfunctional story. Right? Like, if there was ever, if you're like, how could God ever use me? My life is so dysfunctional. This story is a story that should give you hope because it gives me hope because, again, God is in the business of using us in the midst of our dysfunction to tell the message of his goodness and his greatness. But think about Jacob's situation for a second. He works seven years, seven years to marry Rachel. Guys, It's just, like, would we? Seven years. It's a long time. A long time to work for anything. And then Jacob is lied to and given Leah rather than Rachel. And I had this question that many of you may be asking. It's like, how on earth did Jacob not know it was Rachel? (laughs) How on earth? Did Jacob not know it was Rachel? But let me ask you a question. Have you ever made an uninformed decision while drunk? Because these wedding parties were intense, and they lasted a long time. And the tradition was the party lasted as long as the booze did. And if you're the groom, you're leading the charge, you're leading the party. And that's not to make light of drunkenness, but that's just a reminder to me that, man, when have I ever made a permanent decision while uninformed? When have I made a a, a good decision that turned bad? I mean, it was just kind of one of those things that I just was like, man, when was the last time I ever made an uninformed decision while whatever? So Jacob doesn't know that it's not Rachel. And so then Jacob's upset like I could imagine anybody would be. The Bible says, and there was Leah. Like, it's not a very complimentary sentence towards her, but that's what the Bible says with an exclamation point at the end of it. So it's not, there was Leah. There was Leah. So Jacob is understandably frustrated But the amazing thing that happens in this story is that Jacob ends up getting the girl that he desires before he has to begin working the the second seven years. And the Bible says that even after Jacob got Rachel, he worked those seven years. Jacob is in continued pursuit of something or someone that he already, finger quotes, had possession of. He was given the girl of his dreams, and in any sort of context, be like, I got what I want, I can bail out of this deal, but I'm going to continue to pursue, make good on my word to my father-in-law, even though I'm with the girl that I wanted to be with. So I'm technically going to give 14 years 
for one girl. The continued pursuit. I really believe that this is God's desire for our marriages. I really believe that. I really believe that God's desire is that we would never settle in to familiarity at the, at the expense of pursuing the one that God has given us for a spouse. We're talking about our, our second vow that I promise to always pursue my two. And I have to fight against settling into normal. I have to fight against settling into routine because once we begin to settle, we begin to stop pursuing. And usually when we stop pursuing, when we stop investing effort into a relationship with, with our spouse, usually that's when things begin to go downhill. If you're single this morning, I, I want to encourage you with this. I, I thought of three little things that I wanted to encourage you with in this idea of pursuing. So if you're single, I want to I give this to you. Or you're not, if you're single, yeah, whatever. All right, thought number one is this. Don't allow someone to pursue you or don't pursue someone who's not first pursuing the heart of Jesus. I used this in a, in a series last year, but I thought it was, just, it was just a good enough point to use twice. As if you're single, don't allow someone to pursue you or don't pursue someone else who is not first pursuing the heart of Jesus. Thought number two is don't date someone who takes you for granted. Because typically if they take you for granted in dating the moment the marriage happens, usually that's not when it kicks in. So don't be with someone who takes you for granted because point number three is no matter who you are, you deserve to be pursued. You deserve to be pursued. So what happens in our marriages? What hap I mean, if we're thinking, I mean, I, as I was writing this, I was like, man, that pursuing thing, that, that sounds nice. What happens? Because we start off marriages with good or great intentions, right? We get married with this idea that, yeah, this is going to go well because no one walks into a marriage and goes, you know, it would be awesome if this thing goes downhill fast. If this thing tanks quickly and awfully, and I, if this becomes something that splits families and friendship circles, that's what I'm going after. That would be the dream. No, no, nobody, nobody says that. We start off with good and great intentions, but what happens? I think, I think life just happens. And it's not bad, but it just does. Life happens. We get tired. We get worn down. We get overwhelmed. Work, kids, you've got a mortgage. Sometimes those kids need braces, and those are, ex those are expensive. And then, you know, nobody has money for braces, but if your kids need, you've got to figure out a way. To, and so then it's like, okay, trying to figure out how we're going to make the money for braces. But then there's those school events. And I don't know if, 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 if your kid plays sports or you want your kid to play sports, but I was a kid who played sports. You know those things aren't free. Like, you, like, it costs, like, the, the, the basketball shoes don't just show up. Like, those things actually, like, cost money. And then you actually have to pay to play the sport for you. I mean, these things, and all of a sudden, like, life just begins to happen. And then there's maybe some things that kind of you don't expect, these unexpected things. Maybe there's an unexpected death in the family. Maybe you get laid off from a job or jobs. Maybe there's issues with the health of a child, and as life goes on, life just continues to happen, and so on and so forth. Things begin to weigh on us, and then those things that seem like emergencies often have a tendency of scooting in front of what our priorities are because emergencies, the fire of emergency, burns a little bit brighter and a little bit hotter 
than the fire of priorities. And so this morning, what I want to do is I just want to give you three scripturally-based action steps I believe that if you put into practice that can, that can help us close the gap between intention and action. Because I think we all intend good things. But the gap between intention and action seems to be greater and greater. So, so thought point number one is this, uh, really simple. When you think of something good, say it. When you think of something good, say it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, but encourage one another, what's that word? Daily. Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Man, a great way in your marriage to guard against sin's deceitfulness is through encouraging your spouse. Not just when it's convenient, not just every once in a while, but the Bible says he encourage one another daily. Man, encourage your spouse daily. Every time you think of something good about your spouse, tell them. Man, t- and if you're like, man, if we're not in the same room, text them. Technology's awesome. You can text them. They don't even have to be in the same room. And I, like, so if you, the moment you think of something good, man, text your spouse. Give them a call. If they're in the same room, tell them. If you're in a group of people, oh, man, that's awesome. Tell them. You will score major points in public. Man, share, like, tell something that you love about them. One of uh, the biggest deficits that I see in marriage, and if I'm just going to be honest, which I, I try and have a tendency of doing, my marriage included, is one of the greatest deficits that I see is the deficit of verbal affection. Is the deficit of verbal affection. Because I have so many thoughts, well, Jen knows how I feel. They, they know how I feel. They know I love them. They know that I'm proud of them. They know how much I believe in them. And can I ask you just a really easy question? Do they? How? Because if you don't tell them, how are they going to know? I've never known a marriage that worked really well on ESP. I've, I've, I've never known two people to be that tied into mentally that there was no need for verbal affection or compliments because they just knew. Like, you would never do that as a parent, right? Just assume your kid knows you love them. And if you do, then let's talk after service. But you tell them, right? And for whatever reason, most marriages exist with such a heavy verbal affection deficit that it's just incredible. And, and, and you may be arguing with me in your head like they just know, but can I ask you how? Well, I tell other people, do you tell them? I think about them so much during the day do they know that have you told them and see again i want to close the gap between intention and action and maybe with this i want to close the gap between assumption and action and and, and so if i could speak to, to to both parts of the marriage equation uh men can i just encourage you to pursue your wives with words of affection Pursue your wives with words of affection, and I'm going to use words that you maybe didn't even know existed together, but check this out. Non-sexual affection. It does exist. 
one of the things that's, that's, really, uh, that's really a simple tool and that's really practical and powerful and, and is one of those things that when you say I love you, guys, to your spouse, add the word because and change the ending every time. I love you because, and I, I, don't, want, I don't want to give you cheaters. I want to, get, I want to make you guys work. And so, so, but think about this. I love you because... Pursue your wife with words of affection because, man, she, she needs it. In raising two daughters, I'm terrified of the world, of their world. I'm, I'm terrified of, of seeing my second-year-old, the things that she has to go through, not with boys because we're just, I mean, again, boys, our men, our brains aren't done developing until we're 25, so halfway to 50, our brains are still baking, so technically we're still stupid. But, like, so I'm not worried about that because I can just assume that boys are dumb. But the battle that my daughter faces against other girls terrifies me. Terrifies me. And so if you think, man, my words of affection aren't doing anything, trust me, they are. It brings tremendous value. When you think of something good about your wife, man, just set it free and bless her. You're like, but I'm not that affection of a dude. I don't care what you are. And it's not about what you do or how you don't do it. It's about what your wife needs. If I could speak to the ladies, can I encourage you to pursue your husband with words of affirmation? As I was thinking about this, this idea of affirmation that your husband becomes who you see him as. And so pursue him with words of affirmation. It's amazing that how, how much the sun rises and falls on the opinion of my wife. Um, so I, 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 I'm not really great at dressing. I'll just be totally honest. And the other day I thought I was being lazy by going to the mall in a black t-shirt and a pair of blue jeans and a black baseball hat. I was just like, I'm tired and so this is what I'm going to wear. And my wife goes, I really like that outfit on you, so that is my favorite outfit. It's my favorite outfit. Because she spoke words of affirmation into me. And I thought I was just being lazy because I wasn't wearing a button-up and I wasn't doing And we were just, I, we were just like, so it was just like, I know, boo-hoo. But like the week after vacation is really hard. Because everyone's, and then there's snow days. What? And then there's like all, the, and then it didn't even snow Monday. Jeez, that was our recovery day. And so it just kind of like, so all of a sudden, so, so I was like, we got a couple hours. I was like, I should dress up, but I'm tired, so I'm going to be lazy. And it's in that act of lazy mode. I was like, I really like that outfit on you. So guess what Steve invested in? A whole bunch of black T-shirts. You know what I mean? Because there's these words of affirmation that, 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 that the sun, I mean, the sun really does rise and fall on my wife's opinion of me. What are you speaking over your husband, ladies? If there's a habit of, of, of consistently you're not, you're not, you're not, can I tell you, trust me, your husband knows that. He knows where he's falling short. What he needs is he needs life spoken into him. So ladies, uh, so men, your wife is wondering, does he love me today? Ladies, your husband is wondering, does, he, does she believe in me today? When you think of something good, say it. When you think of something special, do it. 
When you think of something special, do it. James 4, chapter, se- uh, chapter 4, verse 17, we're going to loosely tie this one to, to this topic, but I love what it says. It says, if anybody knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. We all know the good things that we should do, right? But why don't we do them? Those things that would make life just a little bit special to bless your spouse. Man, if you think of something that would bless your spouse, do it. Get him coffee. Give him a neck or shoulder or buy him flowers. Guys like flowers too, but usually that one's for the husbands and the wives. Husbands, give the kids a bath and put them to bed. That would be amazing. I mean, I, I try and do that as often, I mean, more so when I used to work outside, but now we work from home, and so then it's just a fight of who has to do it. But man, make dinner, do the dishes. Man, if you think of something, do a surprise date night. Get a sitter for the kids, man. Plan something out. If you think of something that would bless your spouse, do it. Because man, what, is, what good would it be to hold on to something wonderful? If you think of something, be active in the things that your spouse is interested in, even if you're not interested in them. I can't tell you how many Grey's Anatomy episodes I have watched. So many. It's awful. But it's time to spend with Jen. It's time to spend with Jen. Be active in the things that your spouse is interested in. When you think of something special to do for your spouse, do it for your spouse. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Man, just do it. And point number three is this. When you want something different, be it. When you want something different, be it. I have this really awful thing in my head that seems to condition the things that I'll do with the things that Jen's doing. So, Welcome into my brain. And usually the thought process goes like this. Well, if Jen does A, B, C, then I'll do X, Y, and Z. See, too often husbands and wives will condition our response based on a reciprocating action. So if they do this, then I will do this. If they say this to me, then I'll say this. If they do this, then I'll respond with this. I'm going to withhold what they need until they give me what I want. And, and, and who wins? Are we done? Was that my clue? Like lunchtime, dude, we got to get, I mean, you uh, just, it's like the, it was literally like that metaphorical, like the old school, like cane that would come off and someone's like ragtime, and then like the big cane would come off and like pull them right off. That's sort of what it felt like. It may not have felt like that, but that's what it felt like for me, and I'm the one with the microphones, you're going to listen to what I say. Anyway, um, A, B, C to X, Y, Z. See, so often I'll, I'll, Condition. Man, I'm bad at this. I'll condition a response based on getting what I need. And, and man, I can tell you that no marriage flourishes in that. I think this idea, man, often, so oftentimes I gripe about my spouse and what my spouse isn't. And that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to become who God has created me to be. 
So my job, my responsibility is to become who God's created me to be. And the difficult thing about it is my responsibility is, is, to, is to love Jen and to serve Jen and to be the husband and father that my girls need. But as far as their relationship with Jesus, that's not my responsibility. I'm trusting that Jen's growing in her responsibility with Jesus. I'm doing what I can to grow with her for us to grow together, but this idea that I'm not going to become what I need to be until she does something, man, how broken of a mentality is that? But how many relationships exist Relationships exist in that, that I will do A, B, and C until, I won't do A, B, and C until I see X, Y, and Z, and your responsibility, let me just say this so clearly, your responsibility is to become who God has created and called you to be. So if you want to see something different in your relationship, be that thing. Um, just another thought, if you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting, look at what you're giving. If you don't like what you're getting back, look at what you're giving. Instead of complaining about what you're not getting, ask yourself, what can I do and what can I give to my marriage to always be in pursuit of my two? Because there was a time when you were stupid crazy about this person. And you would move the moon if you could, and you would stay up all night talking on the phone and texting. You would do whatever you could to simply be, like, like your craziness for this person, again, moved to the realms of almost stupid. And then years later, you wonder why you're not in that same place. Somewhere along the way, we stop pursuing. Somewhere along the way, we've settled into normalcy. We've become so familiar that we've, we, we've kind of thrown out the art of the pursuit. And just this, this, this thought of, of, this thought was, man, if you want to get what you once had, you have to do what you once did. Sometimes in order to get to a place where the pursuit exists again, you have to go back to where it once existed in. Now, now that sounds crazy and sounds like it's backpedaling, but here's the deal. Man, if you've forgotten, if I forget how to play basketball, I'm not going to start out playing basketball by jumping into a game. I'm going to work on the fundamentals that build up my ability so that I can get in the game. Some of you need to get back to the pursuit, the, the, the basics of pursuits. And, and it's amazing that when you begin to get back to the basics, you remember how to do the things that you used to do. And as time goes on and efforts given, because again, it's not determined by what you're getting back, it's determined by what you're called to give. Man, I really believe that after time and effort and energy and doing things that you don't do regularly, man, you will begin to see steps taken in your relationship. You'll begin to see some tenderness come back, and when some tenderness comes back, then some romance may come back, and then all of a sudden, you begin to live your life in this state of pursuit towards your two, because again, this idea that they are a person who deserves to be pursued. If I can invite Blake back. One really simple thought at the end of this to wrap this message up. When Jesus was talking to the church in Ephesus, uh, they're a church that fell away. 
And Jesus is speaking to them about, about where they've been and, and where he desires for them to be. But in Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, remember the heights from which you were fallen. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. See, when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to this topic of pursuit, we have the capacity to pursue our spouse because you and I have experienced the capacity of being pursued. See, the truth is, before we ever pursued our spouse, Jesus pursued us. Before we ever fell in love with the person that eventually became our husband or our wife, we first Many of us first fell in love with the person of Jesus and we've understood what it's like to be pursued. We have the capacity to pursue because we've experienced pursuit. We have the capacity in this world to give grace because we've experienced grace. We have the capacity in this world, no matter how broken or messed up it is, to feel hope and experience hope because we've experienced hope. And all of this comes back to the fact that, man, if our eyes and our heart are not positioned towards Jesus, man, everything that we attempt and everything we do will fall short. There's not enough feeling love in the world to get you through the hardest times of marriage. There's not enough feeling love in the world to get you through seasons where your kids are just wearing you down, where you're dealing with a sickness of a parent, where you're dealing with an unexpected death or an unexpected loss. Man, there's not enough feeling love in the world to get you through that. Because feelings are fickle and they go, but man, we can get through the things that God, that, that, that we experience in life because we, we, we've been pursued by the Savior. We've been pursued by Jesus. You're saying, you know what, but, but you don't understand my marriage. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't understand what we've experienced and the things that have been said. And no, I don't. But I know that you have the capacity to pursue because you experienced Jesus' capacity to pursue you. I want to pray for you this morning. I want to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And I just want to, I feel like God is doing a million things in my brain right now. For those of you in the place that Like in any relationship, there's, there's the wondering of, is it still there? And I know in my life, there's been many moments where I've wondered, Jesus, are you still there? Jesus, are you still there in the midst of my most broken, in the midst of my hurting, in the midst of my, my, my whatever it is? Jesus, are you still there? And... and And I want to reassure those this morning that Jesus is there in the midst of your greatest, and he's there in the midst of your worst. The love of Jesus is a love that pursues and is not a respecter of situation or circumstance, but his love, his perfect love, pursues us relentlessly, relentlessly pursues us continuously. And for those in this place who want to respond 
to the pursuit of love that Jesus offers us. And you're saying in this, I don't know where I stand with God. I, you know, it's, it's amazing how easy a response can be because the response is not, man, what can I do to continue to earn God's love? Is man, I just need to respond to it. And so if you're in this place this morning and you're like, man, I don't know where I stand with God, but, the, but I feel, I've been feeling this love pursuing me. I've been feeling this grace pursuing me. And, and you want to respond. We call that surrendering. If you want to surrender to the love of Jesus this morning, I don't want to ask you to raise your hand or do anything, but just in your own way and in your own words, I want to just ask you to respond to the love of Jesus. It's not through a prayer. It's not through, it's, 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 it's not through raising hands. It's not through filling. It's not anything other than simply in your own way saying, Jesus, I respond to your grace. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your grace. I accept your love. And then the love of God's going to come into your space. And the Bible says that his love changes you. It sets you free. It gives you new life. So God, I thank you for hearts and lives that are responding to your pursuits, your relentless pursuit of love. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for loving us the way that you do, God. You love us so well. The second group I want to talk to is those who are, are married right now. For those of you who are, are in a place that You've kind of become roommates. That life has happened, life has kind of kicked your tail, and you kind of you begin the day looking at, at a person, and, and there's those moments of remembrance of, man, I remember when, when being with them was fun. I remember those dating phases and all those, all those, those, those way back whens. See, I believe that God's desire for your marriage is that he would restore the art of the pursuit in you. And that's not something that I can offer you. That's something that only you can determine for yourself. And the question I have is, are you willing to do the work even if you don't get back what you want? Are you willing to, to do the work? And so, are you? Father, I pray for every marriage in this place. God, I, just, I thank you for marriage. I thank you for the vows that, that, that have been taken. I thank you for the promises that have been made. And, and God, life happens and, and it's, it doesn't seem fair at times, but God, you never promised us an easy road, but you did promise us that you would walk with us. And so, God, for every marriage in this place, God, who is, where there's, there's maybe been an honest check right now that the, loss, that the art of the pursuit has been lost, God, I pray... Lord, that you would speak as only you can speak to hearts and lives, God, that we would see a revolution in marriages, God, take place. God, not simply in this church, but in the church at large, that we would be people who pursue our spouses, Jesus, the way that you pursued us. Because, God, it all stems from that. It all comes from that. And so, God, would you help us See beyond this word that we have called want. 
I want this out of this. I want this out of this. God, would you help us to see beyond that? Would you help us to see beyond the faults and beyond the things that are so easy to pick apart in other people? And God, would you just, would you help us to see a person, God, who you've entrusted us with, entrusted us to be uh, husbands and wives to, And God, help us to pursue our two. God, if there's things that we're pursuing that take away from that, God, would you allow us to step away from those things, to wash our hands of those things, God, to get rid of all the, the, all the distraction. Because God, I just, I was, as I was reading and a line that just popped out of my head, God, the greatest gift for those of us who are, are married and have kids, God, the greatest gift that we could give our kids is to have great marriages. So God, for those of us who are married, help us get to there. Help us get back to the art of the pursuit, to pursue our spouses. That we would never lose sight, God, that you've entrusted us with them, that you are our greatest priority, and then them. So God, help us to love each other the way, God, that you've called us to love each other. Help us to pursue each other the way that you've called us to pursue each other. To go beyond the feelings. To go beyond the emotions. God, help us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.